0: Hope everybody's doing well tonight. If you grab your Bible and turn with me to Second Samuel, that's after First Samuel, if that helps you at all. And uh, we're going to be looking through that tonight. We're in our in this series on the door, and um, and we're talking this weekend about the front door, about friendship, and uh, about front door relationships. And so um, tonight, some of the thoughts that I'm going to give you are inspired by a talk by Chuck Swindoll, who uh, brought to life a couple of characters uh, from 2 Samuel that, quite frankly, uh, I had to really rehearse to pronounce. Which, if you want to know something that's funny, is get a Southerner to try to read the Old Testament out loud. Because most of the time, I just skip over the words. Right? Like Epithophel and all these other kinds of... That was pretty good, though. i actually been working on that one this week. So, anyhow, so if it kind of has a twang to it, it's probably not exactly the way it was in, in, in Hebrew, but uh, it kind of goes to an Arkansas grid, so don't hate too much on that and all that good stuff. I'm also doing something a little bit different tonight, too, with this message. I am not... Uh, I'm going to be hitting several verses, but all the way through chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. So I'm not going to read all five chapters... So for those of you that are that are homiletical purists, that for an expository message, it's all got to be read. Um, just imply that, okay? And for those of the rest of us that don't want to hear me read five chapters of the Old Testament, you can just say thank you later. And so, uh, but we're going to cover that. And actually, on your communication card uh, that Ryan talked about, uh, you, the, you basically can. Um, take that card, and uh, I'm ask you, actually asking you to read those five chapters this week. So I think it's going to be kind of a cool deal. We'll explain a little bit more of that later. But I want to bring a, a statement right from the very beginning. This is something that I live by. Um, man, it's such a part of me that I don't really even think this is incredible, but I do think it's very applicable, especially with this subject. And that's this. God works through people. That's really all I'm going to talk about tonight. God works through people people. I've heard it said all my life, God works through people. But when you really get to thinking about that, really is how God shows up and works in our lives. The Bible is an example. The Bible is a collection of accounts where God chose to work through people. The church that was birthed in in, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 all the way to today, from the first century to today, is a living example of how God works through people. Most of you in this room, somebody witnessed to you or to a family member and told them about Christ. They invested and invited, and just like Philip did to Peter, they just said, come and see this man named Jesus, the Messiah. And God worked through somebody so that you heard the gospel message, so that you or your family were saved. I'm an example of that. And in my own family, although it's been many generations removed, my grandparents, my great-grandparents came to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of my great-grandmother, Maybelle Austin, that heritage was passed down to my grandmother and to my mother and then to me. But somebody told her about Jesus. And so I'm standing here today, someone that I've never met, someone that I don't, want, that I don't even know who it is. I don't even know who to thank. But it's an example that God works through people. And so when we talk about that, friendship is very important in that. matter of fact, there's a hundred different references in Scripture about friendship. Now, a couple of statements about friendship. First of all, friendship, uh, friends are essential. They're not optional. Friends are essential in life. They're not optional. Some of us sometimes think, well, life would be easier without people. And I have those days too. But the reality is, is that we need friendships. We need people. The Bible talks all throughout Scripture about the fact of that we need people. Friendships are also cultivated, they're not automatic. Friendships are cultivated, they're not automatic. Nobody just happens to have friends. Nobody just automatically happens on friends. Friendship is something that's cultivated. Friendship is something that's worked on. Friendship is something where you've sown seeds and now you're reaping that harvest. Friends are also, they also impact our lives. They're never neutral. When you talk about friendship, when you talk about friends, it's never a neutral situation. They always have a positive impact or a negative impact on someone's life. My dad told me, and I'm going to get to tell my kids, I had the distinct pleasure of saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You ever heard that? High school assembly, show me your friends and we'll show you your future. I mean, we talk about that, but it's so true. Because the people that you hang around, the people that you run around, the people that are your close friends will influence your life for the positive, for the negative. Now, there are four classifications when it comes to friends. Because when you say, well, these are friends of mine, well, what do you mean? Well, there's basically kind of four breakdowns. And you may have five, or somebody else may have six, or some professor may have eight or nine. But these are just four basic for, for our conversation this weekend. First of all, our acquaintances. Acquaintances are basically just superficial surface relationships. They're just people that you know them, they know you. It's just kind of a a nothing real deep, just very surface. Maybe you're at a mixer, maybe you're at some function and you know them. Hi, how are you? How are your kids? How are things going? But really nothing more than that. The next level is what you would call casual friends. And casual friends are are people that you share common interests with. You, You don't necessarily do life with, but there are things that you enjoy about life that you kind of cross paths with them. Maybe it's a hobby that you have. Maybe it's an interest that you have. Maybe it's a relationship that you have. Maybe you live in the same neighborhood. The next is close friends. Close friends are people that you share common goals with. And, and this level, you begin to ask questions of people. You can ask them questions and they can ask you questions. Hey, where did you get that? Where did you buy that? Would you mind giving me the name of the person that helped you up with that? What about this? What about that? Hey, tell me, I know your child was struggling with this. Where did you guys go to find help? Hey, we, could I get the name of the counselor that you saw? Hey, could I find out the name of the church? Hey, what about this? Hey, I'm in a deep place. Could you really help me? Hey, relationships are people that you share common goals with. And, and the, the next level of friendship is what you would call intimate friends. Intimate friendships, intimate relationships. At this level, you have the freedom to criticize and to correct. To encourage and to embrace. This is a level where you actually have the ability to speak into someone's life and they into yours. You actually have the ability to, to, to be critical in order to be helpful, to, to, to be someone that can actually correct and give them corrective criticism and actually speak and say, hey, are you really sure about this? Do you really think this is a good behavior? Do you really think this is a good choice? Man, I really think that you're jacked up on this situation. I really think you need to think about this. I really think you need to, to, to take a break. Hey, why don't you do this? Hey, what about this? You know, man, I'm, I'm just here for you. I, I, I'm just going to sit with you. I don't have to talk. We can just hang out, and I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm just going to be a friend. And the thing about those relationships from acquaintances to casual friends to close friends to to intimate relationships and intimate friendships, the the, the higher you go, the smaller that gets. This isn't first grade. Do you remember when you were in first grade or third grade or fifth grade? And you had like three best friends. And that was like a big conversation piece because you were like, can I have more than one best friend? Then you realize yeah, John, Ernie, and Chris can all be my best friends. We can all be best friends. And I just tell them they're all my best friends because I don't have to choose, right? And then life happens. And all of a sudden, you graduate high school and you go into college and then you graduate college and you go into the workplace. And all of a sudden, you find out that relationships get to be very small and very narrow. Because there's very few people at the top. Oh, there's a ton of people that are acquaintances. I mean, I'm a people person. I know people from all over. You, I, can all, I bet you I can name a person from every continent that I know and that they would know my name. I mean, it's just what I do. It's, it's just, it, a, but they're acquaintances. They're just kind of surface relationships. And, and then I have people that would say, hey, we're close friends. And I'd probably say that they're close friends. And, and I have a lot of casual friends. But I have very few intimate friendships. Actually, this has probably been one of the most frustrating and um, revealing things about as I get older. The, 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 you know I'm, I'm, I'm 38, and, and I'm realizing that there are people that I began to do life with, and in college we talked about doing life together, that that's not going to happen. And there are people that I started out with that they were married, and we were married, and we all did things together, and they're no longer married. And now they've actually divorced, and they've remarried, and they have kids from these other relationships, and it just is never going to be the same. It just gets small, and it gets very refined, and it's very few people. And if you feel like that, you're not alone, and you're not weird. It's just called life. It just happens. It's the reason why the Bible says that relationships are so important, that as iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another, that, 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 that you don't want to be by yourself in life, that you want to do life with someone. That's the way God created us. God created you and I for a relationship before he ever created us for achievement. It's Genesis. It's all over again. God wanted to walk and talk with Adam and Eve at the cool of the day. Not about the accomplishments of life, but about life and just living. Just about how the day was going and what was going on. And so God works through people. And when God works through people, it's very important to understand that there are going to be these levels of relationships. And that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. And we're going to zone in on one passage of Scripture, actually five chapters, in the life of a man named David. Now, we talked about David a few weeks ago. And David was kind of beginning the tragic season of his life when, um, when he basically uh, has an affair, commits adultery, lies about it, commits murder, lies again, then he's confronted. And we're picking up David in 2 Samuel chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And personally, David's almost destroyed by the guilt that we were just talking about. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's had her husband Uriah killed. He's now living a life of lies, and he's brought shame to God's name, and his world is beginning to crumble. Domestically, David's home is shattered by a domestic whirlwind. I get you just heard what happened. But beyond that, too, the son that he and Bathsheba had together, that he killed over, that he lied about, that he committed adultery over, this child dies. And then he has another son, Anon, who goes and rapes one of his half-sisters... And then he has another son, Absalom, who is so enraged by the fact that his father won't be man enough to deal with his son, that his other half-brother, Absalom, goes to Anon and kills him. So now he's got incestuous relationships happening with his, with his children. He has children murdering children, and David is about to cry out, Enough, I can't handle anymore. And then on top of that, Absalom gets so sick and tired of his father and the way he's leading the kingdom that he starts an all-out rebellion against him. And politically, this all erupts. David is now driven from the throne by Absalom. And he's driven out. And David's political career is completely fractured. And we pick him up in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. And verses 1 through 12 tell how Absalom maneuvers himself into a place of political strength by winning the hearts of the people. He would set, because of his proximity and relationship to the king, he would set outside the king's court and before people would go in, he would listen to all their complaints and all the problems that that they were going to tell the king that the king would solve. And he would say, I totally agree with you. I feel your pain. But the king's never going to listen. There's too many people. There's millions. There's never going to listen. But if our king... I would change it. If I were in his shoes, I would do a different... You know, I'm the son of the king. Maybe I can help you. Verses 13 through 18. This conspiracy works and David flees for his entire life. But remember the statement that we talked about at the very beginning. God works through people. And in order to meet David's needs, God sends not just one friend or one relationship, but a group of obscure but faithful friends to David. Now, I want to point something out here that I don't have a lot of time to, to investigate, but you're going to have to trust me on this. David had sowed seeds of front-door relationships with people for years prior to this point. David had been a person of integrity before everything shattered. David had been a person, a man after God's own heart. David did, the right, David did right by people. He was a great leader. And the Bible says that he had, he had right relationships with his family, that he had right relationships with, with, with uh, a best friend, uh, Jonathan. Uh, he even, his father-in-law Saul, who tried to kill him, uh, who tried to come against him. David did not, he just learned the, the fine art of dodging darts, of dodging, of dodging spears, of, of getting out of the way. He, he, he didn't retaliate because it was the king. It's not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm, the Bible says. And so David respected him and, and even left for a period of a time running for his own life in order to honor the king because if you can't honor the, the person, then at least you have to honor the position. And so David did just that. And, and David had sowed all these seeds of righteousness that when Nathan, the spiritual man of God, came to him, that David basically surrendered himself and and was honest before him. And and Joab, who was his commander-in-chief, who basically ran the armies of Israel for him. I mean, there was was deep-seated commitment. There was deep-seated issues. And all of a sudden, because of some heart issues, David's life begins to erupt and tears apart and explodes from the inside out. So David had done the right things. David had sowed seeds of friendship with Jonathan, with Saul, with Nathan, with Joab, and with others that we're going to find out about. And here's what they did. These people didn't just show up. But there are are five different friendships, five different front door relationships that the Bible talks about. And the first is a group I call the supporters. The supporters. This was Ittai. The Bible says that, that he was from the country of Gath. And here's what he says to David in his time of need in 2 Samuel 15, verse 21. Again, we're just kind of walking through these five chapters. He says this, he comes to David, and David's running for his life, and David's fleeing Israel, and David's under all this situation. He says, as as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, surely wherever the Lord my King may be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Ittai shows up and says, hey man, David, wherever you are, whatever's going on, I'm going to be with you. Now, these supporters, these are the people in life that are emotional support to you. These are the people in life that give you unconditional love. These are the people, when everything's down, they come to you and say, I'm going to pray with you. I'm just going to hang with you. I'm just going to be here. I can't give you anything. I don't have any wisdom to bring to you. I don't have anything, but here's what I can do. I'm just going to give you my support. I'm just going to be there. Here's what's interesting about this relationship. See, the Bible never gives you unnecessary detail. If it's there, it's there for a reason. The Bible says that he was from Gath. Okay, let's put that through the computer. Ah, remember when the armies of Israel several chapters back, actually an entire book back in 1 Samuel, are, are postured on the sides of the valley. And one side are the Philistines and one side are the Israelites. And Goliath of the Philistines, he was from Gath. The Philistines inhabited the land of Gath. Their chief warrior comes down. David comes down. You know the rest of the story. David kills Goliath. And David takes the sword of Goliath. And he charges the Philistines, the people from the land of Gath. And he goes in and he takes them captive. Here is one of his captors. Here is one that's been exiled. See, that's all the parenthetical thought right there. You just say Gath, you go, well, he's from the land of Gath, who really cares? It's like Menominee Falls, Mequon, Cedarburg, whatever we're talking about. No, 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 it's very important because this guy could have been someone that would have totally turned against David, totally poisoned against David. He was exiled, but because of the way David the king treated him and his people, his heart turned toward him. And in a time of David's need, when he was being exiled, who came to him, the one who had been exiled? do mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. See, here's the thing about people that are supporters in your life. You never know who those people are going to be. You never know who God will use in your life. So be careful how you treat other people. Because it may be that a former enemy comes across the line and is there for emotional support when you need them the most. It may be that someone that you thought was totally against you, God uses for your good. It may be that in a moment of, a, of a need someone who you totally unsuspect God uses and brings some obscurity and brings to prominence in your life. And just says, I'm going to be here to support you. And I'm going to love you just because. The Bible goes on to say, as we continue on through uh, chapter 15 and verse 24 and verse 29, that there were spiritual leaders that came to David. This is the second group of people, spiritual leaders. Zadok and Abathar. How do you like that? did pretty good for that one. Zadok and Abathar. And these were the priests. And they wanted to support David by bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence and the power of God. They wanted to bring it to David. But David requested that they leave it with Absalom in verse 29 in order to soften Absalom's heart. Spiritual leaders are the people that minister to you. They're the people that bring the presence of God to you. But remember this. When you talk about spiritual leaders in your life, you cannot have ministry without relationship. It all works that way. You can't have ministry without relationship. You, you, you can't be in a place where, where, where you need help. And, and, and I want to make kind of a plug here because I think this is real important to say. Because in a growing church, and as a pastor of a growing church, uh, I, there is no way that I can be available to 1,000, 11, 1,200 people that actually say life church is their home church. I, I can't do that physically. You know that. I know that. That's cool. Everybody's cool with that. No big deal. But, but, but here's the reality. I don't have to be. And as this church grows larger, we continue to grow smaller with things called life groups. And life groups are totally set up so that we can give ministry into your life and that we can minister to you right where you are and meet your needs. Because your needs are important and the fact that your needs are met are important. And the fact that there's are spiritual needs in your life, that's important and they need to be met. They just don't have to be met by one person. That's impossible except if his name be Jesus. And so at the local church level, we say, hey, Here's how you're going to receive ministry in your life. It's through relationship. Remember what I said earlier? God created us for relationship, not for achievement. God doesn't really care how many people show up on the weekend. He cares about people. He cares about those individuals. And so counting those individuals, that's fine. But, but, but God cares whether there's one or whether there's 10,000. God cares, period. And at, the rea- and at the bottom line, God works through relationship. He works through ministry, through people, and through relationship. And here's what I'm saying about that. You need to make sure that you have people in your life that are filled full of the power of the Holy Spirit because there's going to be times in your life where you're going to need those people to minister to you because God works through people. The presence of God in David's life in the moment of crisis did not show up by an angelic host or angelic beings. Jesus Christ never shows up to David. God himself never speaks to David audibly. There is no sign of any type of an angelic race that shows up and ministers to David's needs. No, it's not there. God uses people. Zadok and Abathar show up representing the presence of God to minister to him in his time of need. They minister, and then he says, Go back. Go back to Absalom. Go back to Israel and make sure that the presence of God stays there because that's where God is supposed to be. Be careful. Make sure that in all of your relationships that you're open. That you have spiritual leaders. You have people that pour into your life. And if you're at Life Church and this is your home church and you're not involved in a ministry or a life group, this is one area of your life that's gaping wide open. This is one area of your life where you have shut the front door and said, "I don't want any help." But we all need help. Amen. Hmm. The next group of people that come to minister in verse 33 through 36 are servants. These are people that just serve. Yushai is his name. And the Bible says that Yushai stayed at David's side. He returned to the city. uh, He was going to stay at David's side. And David says this, as you stayed with me, now in verse 33, verse 34, 35, 36, he says this. Return to the city and say to Absalom. I will be your servant, O king. And as I have been with your father's servant in the time past, I will now be your servant. Then you can thwart the counsel of of Ahithophel. Ahithophel. Excuse me, I'm going to get it right in a minute. For me. Hooked on phonics, right? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok and Abathar, the priests. Now here's what's interesting about that. Ahithophel was the chief counsel to David. He was his chief of staff. Um, and so Joab was, was, was his commander-in-chief, but, but the chief of staff was, was, was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel had turned on David. Actually, his name in, in original language means brother of foolishness. He, he had turned his back on David, and he had totally took, taken his political clout and capital and positioned himself to serve Absalom because basically he was one of those kind of guys that was kind of like just wishy-washy. He just kind of flip. And life depends on who's got the best deal because he wanted to take care of himself. So David says, listen, Yusha, I know that you're coming here to help me. And I know that you're wanting to serve me. And you're asking me what you can do for me. And the greatest thing you can do for me and for the nation of Israel is to go back. Because my chief of staff has turned on me. And all the secrets and all the confidence of Israel is now exploited. And I need you to serve Absalom. And in being in his presence, you will hear confidential matters and situations. And I need you to take those. I need you to take those to the priests, to Zadok and Abathar. And I need you to report to them. And they will know what to do because they're men of God. There's times in our lives where you just need people that are true friends that serve without expectation where they do things for you without expecting things, where they just serve you in ways without wanting anything back. They just see a need and they feel it. They're just there to do that. And I wrote in my notes, you know if you're a servant by how you respond when you're treated like one. Sometimes we all like to think, oh, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to help. But if someone looks at you and just says, here's what I need you to do. There's no please, there's no thank you, there's no thank you card, there's no name and lights, there's no anything. Here's what I need you to do. How do you respond? How do you act? If you kind of bow up and go, I can't believe that person would ask that of me. You're not a true servant or friend. I can't believe that they they would put me, no, you don't get it. They didn't even say thank you, please, whatever, I'm so offended, I'm so hurt, I'm going to go outside and eat worms. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go outside and eat worms. Right? Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all because everybody hates me. The deep theology on that is go to Lowe's, get a ladder, and get over it. Because when you're in a time of need, you need people that are willing just to come into your life and just willing to serve. And you, was one of those people. Yes, sir, David, whatever you need from me, king. As that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. You, you need me to shovel the drive, I can do that. You need me to mow the lawn, I can do that. You, you, there's nothing fancy, It's nothing huge, there's nothing that's going to be in lights. You need me to pick up the kids, you need me to take them for the afternoon, you need me to go to the grocery store for you, you need me to take your car someplace, you need me to help you, I'll just be willing to do that. You, you're in trouble, you're in need, I'm just willing to do that. I'm not expecting anything back, I'm not expecting anything in return. This isn't a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This is just I'm here to be a friend, how can I help you? We all need people like you, shine in our life. They're willing to serve without any type of, of pomp or circumstance, and that's exactly what he did. The next group of people that the Bible says, and this is just fascinating to me, you go, skip on over to chapter 17, verses 27 through 29, are the suppliers. These are people that, these are the need meters, these are the check writers, these are the people that go, just tell me what you want, tell me how much you need, I'll write the check, I'll pay for it, I'll make sure it gets delivered. I I may not necessarily be able to be the one to do it, but I'll make sure it gets done. These were three guys the Bible says. Shobi, who actually was a family enemy, if you do any any, any study on this. Machar, who was from Lodabar. Lodabar was like a nowhere zero town. It was in the middle of Nowhereville. Its address was Nowhereville. You could see... The end of the earth from there. I mean, Lodabar was not a place to be, and it was not a place of resource. And then the last person is Barzilli, who was old and retired, scholars tell us. And from this family enemy, Shobi, and from Machor, from that had no resource or no money from the bad part of town and Barzilli who was on a fixed income here's what they show up and do the Bible says in verse 27, 28, 29 they brought beds, they brought basins they brought pottery, they brought wheat they brought barley, flour, parched grain beans, lentils, parched seeds honey, curd, sheep, cheese of the herd and for David and for the people who were with him to eat for this is what they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness suppliers need meters People that are willing to write the check. People that are willing to say, is that what's needed? That's what I can do. I have people that do that to me from time to time. Hey, pastor, you know what? My, my life's crazy right now. Things are going on right now. But if there's ever a need, you let me know. You call me. Some kid needs to go to camp this summer. You let me know. I'll write the check. I, I have more money than I have time right now. And some of you in this room go, boy, I'd like to be in that boat. And some of you in this room go, that's exactly where I am. Uh, It's easier for me to give you money than it is for me to give you my time because things right now are crazy in my world. And that's exactly what these men were. But what's interesting is God used three different individuals from three different places in life that nobody would have suspected because a lot of times that's what happens. Supply typically comes into our life from unexpected sources. David would have never thought in a million years that these three individuals would rally their resources together and meet his physical needs in his moment. But they did. Why? Because God works through people. And the last and probably the most intimate of relationships that this passage talks about is Joab. He's really the only guy that we really know a whole lot about. And he was David's commanding officer. And, and in chapter 18, verse 33, Joab is there when Absalom dies and David hits rock bottom. And in chapter 19, Joab shows up in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. He speaks the truth. And I want to... It'll be on the screen, and here's exactly what he says. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab went into the house of the king and said this, Today you've humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. You love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you, and you have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now, let me give you context on that. What he's basically saying here is Absalom wanted all these people killed. And I know he's your son, and I know that your heart grieves, but because he's dead, we all live. You need to face facts and reality. Absalom went AWOL. Absalom walked away from God. Absalom turned his back on God. And and God is ultimately the judge of his soul. But David, the nation of Israel rests upon you. You've got to get up, quit crying, quit moaning. And now he says in verse 7, And go out and encourage your men. And I will swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. They're all leaving you if you don't stand up for them. This will be the worst for you and all the calamities that have ever come upon you from your youth until now. You see, the sincere relationship like Joab had with David, it's one of truth-telling. It's someone, it's, these are very few people in your life that can walk into your life, can pick up the phone, can look you square in the eye, and can call things for what they are. And they can kind of cut through all the junk and say, here's the bottom line, here's the reality. Now, again, there are very few people that you have that relationship with in life that actually can speak that truth into you. And I hope and I pray that you have those people in your life that can talk to you like that. That can talk to you like you were before you became somebody. They can talk to you like you were before you got in this situation. That can talk to you without any type of, they don't care who you are. They don't care what you've done. Here's the bottom line. Here's the brute reality that can speak truth into your life. See, even kings need honesty and truth-tellers. And if the kings of the land need that, so do you and I. Supporters, spiritual leaders, servants, suppliers, and sincere friendships, front-door relationships, God works through people. I want to ask you two questions tonight, and and I'm done. And and, and that's simply this. Who are the front-door relationships in your life? Who are the front-door relationships in your life? Who are the spiritual leaders? Who are the supporters? Who are the servants? Who are the suppliers? Who are the people that have intimate relationship that can sincerely come to you in your moment of need and call it for what it is? And call you out on your junk? You better have someone that can do that. Who are those people? And the second question is, who are you a front door friend to? Who are the people that you just support emotionally? Who are the people that you bring spiritual leadership? Who are the people that you just serve with, 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 without any, any expectation of anything? Who are the people that you just will help supply and meet the need to? Who is the person or the handful of people that you have the ability to sincerely speak truth into their life? This weekend is all about understanding that we open our lives to certain influences. Next week we're going to talk about how we shut the door, the back door, to, to, to bad things and bad influences in our life. But just as important as it is to know what not to do, it's important to know who to let in, who to open the door to, and who to do that to. Because remember this, we all need to be front door friends. Why? Because we all know that God works through people. And there's going to be a time in your life or in my life that we're going to need those relationships. And we're going to need supporters and spiritual leaders and servants and suppliers and sincere people to come speak the truth in our life. And sometimes needs in our lives are not met because we've closed off the front door relationship. And when you do that, you cut off God's supply. Because some of you are sitting here and you're going, why do I not have this in my life? Because you've never exhibited the the, the the concept. The Bible says if you want to have a friend, then you must first show yourself friendly. I know this is deep, isn't it? But it's truth. Because some of us we sit in church and we cross our arms, and we go, well, nobody ever comes and says hi to me. Get up off your butt, walk across the aisle and say hi to someone else. Just a thought. Sometimes, because we all get this way. Listen, no, 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 this isn't a select group of people. We all get like this. It's just us, right? Come on. People are smiling all over the rooms. You're going, oh man, he's all up in my kitchen right now. There are times where we go, oh God, I need a relationship and I need a close friend and I need something. Maybe you need to quit praying and just start showing yourself friendly. It's truth. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. There's times we want to make this thing way more spiritual. No, it's not. It's just about, it's, 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 it's God principles, but it's applying them in our lives. You want someone to help serve you in your time of need? Why don't you in your time of peace prepare for time of war and serve someone else? Without expectation, without a handout, without any type of applause or circumstance. Listen, you better be in a life group, and a ministry group, and have spiritual leaders in your life that can speak into your life. Because I'm going to tell you, there are times where the enemy will come in like a flood, and the only thing that will stop it's when the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. And the Bible says that how you break the bonds the bonds of the strong man is through prayer and through agreement with other physical, with other with other spiritual people in your life. Sometimes you wonder why are you so alone and why are you walking through this desert by yourself spiritually? I'll tell you because you've cut off relationships of people that have the ability to speak the words of God into your life. Because God works through people. God works through people. Quit asking somebody else to expect you to go out. Ask somebody else, would you like to go out and have ice cream? Quit expecting someone else to be your friend. Just be their friend. Quit expecting someone else to be friendly to you. Just You you take the initiation. Quit expecting someone else to do for you. You just do that. Quit expecting someone. Just be that for someone else. Be that front door relationship for someone else. Be that individual for someone else. Be that person for someone else. Allow God to work through you to touch somebody else. And in doing so, God then in turn will use you. And when he uses you, uh, can I just say something? The greatest thing about the kingdom is this. It's when an infinite God flows through a finite human being to touch another finite person, purpose is created every single time. That's the power behind mission trips. I don't know why we have to go halfway around the world to find that out, but sometimes we do. That's why when I'm sitting there in a feeding line in Kenya and I'm dipping out oatmeal and I have to keep my Oakleys on because I'm I'm crying so uncontrollably that I I don't want those children to see me. And and, and I'm doing this and I'm so humbled. Why? Because God flows through me to touch someone else and purpose is created. And I go, this is what I'm created to do. I'm created to serve. I'm created to love. I'm created to be his hands extended. I'm created to be his hands and his feet. But if I shut that relationship off, I don't get that. And when I don't get that, my soul dries up. And when my soul dries up, it doesn't matter what church, what camp meeting, what service, who prays for me or what happens or how many people fall out, stand up or whatever. It's not going to work because at the end of the day, I've cut off the conduit because God works through people. The people that are in this room are going to be the people that are going to pray for you. They're going to be the people that are going to stand with you. They're going to be the people that are going to walk with you. They're going to be the people that are going to be suppliers and supporters and help to you. That's what's so great about the local church. Nothing works like the local church works when the local church works the way the local church is designed to work. And those that have the ability to give give and those who love love and those who ush ush, right? Those who can sing can sing and lead can sing and administrate, administrate. Nothing works like the local church works when the local church works where the local church is designed to work. That's the beauty of it. That's the reason why Jesus Christ died for it. Why? Because he died not for achievement but for relationship. Because God works through you. Father, I thank you for your work.